0: Chapter twenty nine of The Side of the Angels by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter twenty nine. Forley Masterman pondered on the words Lois had written him as he tramped along the bluffs above the Mississippi, with the towers and spires of Minneapolis looming like battlements through the haze of an afternoon at the end of June. He had left the conference on new methods of treating the thyroid gland which was being held in St. Paul, in order to think his position out. Having motored over from his hotel in Minneapolis, he preferred to tramp it back. The glorious wooded way on the St. Paul side of the river was in itself an invitation to his strong, striding limbs, while the wine of western air and the stimulus of western energy quickened the savage outdoor impulse so ready to leap in his blood. The song of mating birds quickened it too, and the romance of the river gliding through the gorge below, and the beauty of the cities eyeing each other like embattled queens from headland across to headland, and through the splendour of the promise of a gold and purple sunset. It was a great setting for great thoughts, inspiring ideas so large that when he reached his hotel he found them too big to reduce easily to paper. You ask me what love is, and say you don't know. I am more daring than you in that I think I do know, "'I know two or three things about it, even if I don't know them all. "'For one thing, I know that no one can do more than say what love is for himself. "'You can't say what it is for me, or isn't, or must be, or ought to be. "'That's my secret. "'I can't always share it, or at any rate share it all, even with the person I love. "'But neither can I say what it is, or isn't, or should be, or must be, for you. "'You have your secret.' No two people love in the same way, or get precisely the same kind of joy or sorrow from loving. Since love is the flower of personality, it has the same infinite variety that personalities possess. We give one thing and we get back another. Do not some of our irritations, I'm not speaking of you and me in particular, arise from the fact that giving one thing we expect to get the same thing back when all the while no one else has that special quality to offer. The flower is different according to the plant that produces it. When the pine-tree loved the palm, there was more than the distance to make the one a mystery to the other. Of the two things essential to love, the first, so it seems to me, is that what one gives shall be one's best, the very blossom of one's soul. It may have the hot luxuriance of the hibiscus, or the flame of the wild azalea in the woods, or no more than the mildly scented flowerless bloom of the elm, or the linden that falls like manna in the roadway. Each has its beauties and its limitations, but it is worth noticing that each serves its purpose in life's infinite profusion, as nothing else could serve it to that particular end. The elm lends something to the hibiscus, the hibiscus to the elm. Neither can expect back what it gives to the other, perfection is accomplished when each offers what it can. Which brings me to the remaining thing I know about love, that it exists in offering. Love is the desire to go outwards, to pour forth, to express, to do, to contribute. It has no system of calculation and no yardstick for the little more or the little less. It is spontaneous and irrepressible and overflowing, and loses the extraordinary essence that makes it truly love, when it weighs and measures and inspects too closely the quality of its return. It is in the fact that love is its own sufficiency, its own joy, its own compensation for all its pain, that I find it divine. The one point on which I can fully accept your Christian theology is that your God is love. Given a God who is love, and a love that is God, I can see him as worthy to be worshipped. Call him, then, by any name you please. Jehovah, Allah, Krishna, Christ. You still have the essence, the thing. Love to be love must feel itself infinite, or as nearly infinite as anything a human can be. When I can't pour it out in that way, when I pause to reflect how far I can go, or reach a point beyond which I see that I cannot go any further, I do not truly love. Having written this much, he laid down his pen and considered. He had said nothing personal, unless it was by implication. It was only after long meditation that he decided to leave the matter there. The prime question was no longer as to whether or not he loved her, but to whether or not she loved him. That was for her to decide. It was for her to decide without his urging or tormenting. He began to feel not only too sensitive on the subject, but too proud to make appeals to which she would probably listen out of generosity. Since he had been in the wrong, it was for her to make the advances, and so he ended his letter and posted it. The discussion continued throughout the correspondence that ensued, while he migrated from Minneapolis to Milwaukee, from Milwaukee to Denver, and from Denver to Colorado Springs. It was partly from curiosity of travel that he zigzagged in this way across the country, and partly to make it plain to Lois without saying it that he waited her permission to come home. That he should be obliged to return one day without her permission, if not with it, was a matter of course, but it would make the meeting easier if she summoned him. As a hint that she could do so and have no fear, he asked her in a postscript to one of his letters to tell him, when she next wrote, what was happening to Rosie Fay. To this she replied as simply and straightforwardly as he had put the question, imparting all that Jim Breen had told her, and whatever she had gleaned for herself, adding as a seeming afterthought in the letter she wrote next day. "'If Rosie could bring herself to marry Jim, it would be the happiest of all solutions, and make things easier for Claude.' "'I think she will.' "'If so, it won't be so much because her heart will been caught in the rebound, "'as that the poor little thing is mentally and emotionally exhausted, "'and glad to creep into the arms of any strong good man "'who will love her and take care of her. "'Just to be able to do that much will be enough for Jim. "'I see a good deal of him, so I know. "'Every time he brings an order of new plants, "'we have a little talk, always about Rosie. "'His love is of the kind you wrote about the other day.' it has no yardstick for the little more or the little less in the return perhaps men can love like that more easily than women do uncle sim seemed to hint one evening that there is generally a selfish strain in a woman's love in that what it gets is more precious to it than what it gives i wonder received these two letters together on returning to Colorado Springs from a day's visit to that high wilderness in which John Hay sought freedom from interruption in writing his Life of Lincoln. He understood fully that Lois was deliberately being cruel in order to be kind. The very spacing out of her information over two separate days was meant to impress him, and at the same time to spare. Things would be easier for Claude, she said, when she meant that they would be easier for him but for him it was a matter of indifference, that is, it was the same kind of matter of indifference that pain becomes in a limb that has grown benumbed. For reasons he could hardly explain, that part of his being to which Rosie Fay had made her pathetic appeal couldn't feel any more. It was like something atrophied from overstrain. There was the impulse to suffer, but no suffering. Moreover, he was sure that though these nerves might one day vibrate again, they could never do so otherwise than reminiscently. To the episode he felt as a mother might feel to the dead child she has never been able to acknowledge as her own. It was something buried and yet sacred. Sacred in spite of the fact that it never should have been. As an incident in his life, it had brought keen joy and keener pain. But he had already outlived both. He had outlived them as apparently Rosie had outlived them herself. Not by the passage of time. But by an intensity of experience which seemed to have covered years. He came to this conclusion not instinctively, not all at once, but by a dint of reflection, as he sat on the broad terrace of the hotel, watching the transformation scene that takes place in the Rockies during the half hour before sunset. His pipe was in his mouth, Lois's letters lay open on the little table he had drawn up beside his chair. Other tourists bore him company scattered singly, or in groups, smoking and drinking tea. A mild suggestion of Europe, a suggestion of Cap Matin, or of Cannes, was blocked by the domes of the Great Range, and by the shifting interplay of magic lights, where his eye was impelled to look for the broad still levels of Mediterranean blue. There was a wonder in the moment which the yearning in his spirit was tempted to take as symbolic, and perhaps prophetic, of his future where all day long he had seen nothing but hard ridges packed against one another—without water, without snow, without perspective, without a shred of mist, without a hint of mystery, without anything to set the mind to wondering what was above them or beyond them—the dissolving views of late afternoon began to throw up a succession of lovely ranges, pierced by valleys, glens, and gorges. Where the eye had ached with the harsh red of the rocks, spread with the harsh green of the scant vegetation— Soft vapours rose insensibly, purple, pink, and orange, changing into nameless hues as they climbed into the great clefts and veiled the rolling domes and swathed the pinnacles and furrowed the deep passes and put the horizon infinitely far away. The transmutation from conditions in which nature herself seemed for once to be barbaric, alien, hostile to civilised man, painted with Cheyenne war-paint and girdled with a belt of scalps, to this breaking up of glory into glory, of colour into colour, and of form into form, rising, mingling, melting, fading, rising and mingling again, melting again, fading again, passing swiftly in a last brief recrudescence from the gold into green, and from green into black, with a hurried eclipse and the sudden tranquillity of night, the transmutation which produced all this was to Thor hopeful, and in its way inspiriting, "'In the last rays of light he drew out his fountain-pen "'and the scribbling-book he kept for notes by the way, "'writing quickly, without preamble or formality. "'Thanks for telling me about Rosie. "'It is as it should be, as will be best. "'Jim saved her. "'Nothing so good could ever happen to her as to marry him. "'As for me, there are two things, Lois, that I can truthfully affirm. "'I can declare them the more emphatically, "'because I've had time to think them over.' to think you over, and myself. If I ever had a doubt about them, I haven't now, because leisure and solitude have enabled me to see them clearly. The first is that I have given you my best, and the second, that I have given it without any restriction of what I have been aware. If there was anything I withheld from you, and which you think you should have had, I can only say that it was not of the nature of my best.' What it was, I make no attempt to say, nor would it do any good to try. Whatever it was, I wish neither to deprecate it nor to deny it. It was something that swept me, like the tornado of which one of your letters speaks, but it passed. It passed, leaving me tired and older, (laughs) very much older, and with an intense desire to creep home. As a physicist, I know nothing of a carnal man and a spiritual man so that I cannot enter into your analysis. But I do know that there are higher and lower promptings in the human heart, and that in my case the higher turn to you. As compared with you, I am only as the ship compared to the haven in which it would take refuge. The ship is good for something, but it needs a port. Again he decided to leave his appeal suspended here, and on the next morning began his preparations for gradually turning homeward. End of chapter twenty-nine.